Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 675 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. 675. If we were a lesser podcast, we would try to make this an anniversary episode somehow, but that's not our style. No, definitely not. And uh, we'll be we'll be hitting 700 soon enough, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop open my Nyquil here to see what's gonna race quicker: the effects of this Nyquil or how short of a show this is gonna be. Super short show, I think. I think. <laughs> well, uh, for the first time in a long time, we actually have news, what? and we actually have a bunch of news, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a independent comic company is attempting something different with the launch of their new book. What is going on with Fables over at DC? And a legitimate icon, legend, nay, I say both, is going to be getting an artist's edition coming up here in the near future from IDW. Well-deserved. Well, more than well-deserved. We have conventions this weekend, of course, We have what we read last week, which would be Peacemaker Tries Hard number five and Fire and Ice Welcome to Smallville number one. What we're looking forward to coming out this week, the return of Todd's Art Attack, a touch to see how week one shook out for the (laughs) soon-to-be-named network ESPN Pigskin Pick'ems. Todd and Joe have issues as we're getting to the very end of... The Kindly Ones in Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And, of course, the latest episode of Ahsoka on Disney Plus with uh, lots and lots of notes. Yes. All of this. I'm glad one of us has notes on Ahsoka. Anyway. Yes. (laughs) Well, we'll get into it. It's going to be more notes up front than uh, the actual show itself. But... Mm -hmm. So uh, this was actually something that was mentioned to me at the comic book shop when I went to go pick up my books this past Wednesday. And I want to give a shout out here. Uh, You know, whether you're in the Patreon or not, I think that's how you get in there. Um, But we do have a soon-to-be-named network, uh, Discord. There's a Longbox Heroes channel. And I wanted to give a shout out to a lot of the listeners that shoot us some information about the news of stuff that's coming out. You know, the... Sometimes when the news cycle is dry, it's dry, and sometimes when it's cycling, it's churning, and stuff could get like out of your purview. Uh, but mm-hmm. we got a lot of very diligent listeners that are on top of that sort of thing. We got folks that are direct messaging me uh, stuff so that we don't miss out on stuff. And I like to cover the comic end of news stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool. Yeah, so... Um, Vault comic, up and coming, trying to make some moves. They have a new book coming out next month uh, from Chris Yost, who did a bunch of, like, fill-in stuff um, at Marvel. He did a bunch of, like, writing for TV and whatnot. And artist Val Rodriguez have a new book coming out called Unnatural Order. Now, uh, this book um, has a current order number. Of almost 140,000. Now, the reason for this is they have 120-ish copy, 120,000-ish copies that are being earmarked for issue one to be given away by retailers for free. Right. 
The other 20,000 are variant covers priced relatively like five, fifteen, twenty dollars sort of things, right? Mm-hmm. But this is an interesting strategy to one it's one thing to give away your digital comic for free as a first issue to try to get people in. Yep. It's another thing to get the physical copy of something in retailers' hands to give out for free. Definitely. Especially 120,000 copies yeah. with the price of printing today, you know? Exactly. They're taking a huge calculated risk, which kind of shows, um, you know, that they have confidence in the material, the property, what have you. Mm-hmm. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what shakes out and how this shakes out. Like, I'll be getting a copy of it, right? I'm going to see if I can get my hands on a copy, too. Uh- <laughs> now it was a book that was delayed it was originally supposed to come out in july they moved it to october and it's a spooky book so i uh, you know trying to get something like that on the shelves for halloween i think um you know makes a lot of sense and uh yeah i don't know check your local retailer let them know that you want a copy of this yeah I agree. Like I said, you said it best. My only thought of my my brain went, they really have confidence in their product. Really, really have confidence. So absolutely good. And I wish them all the best. Yep. And look, and that's the thing. And you know, they have the confidence. They think the issue is going to be good. You pick that up. You're going to pay for the second issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give you that first taste free, Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. We had mentioned, of course, about a new artist edition that's coming from IDW. And IDW has a weird deal where they're allowed to print, like, old Marvel and DC stuff. Yep. Um, You know, without it really being, you know, uh, you know, they don't have the rights to this sort of stuff, but they do, you know, stuff through an artist, you know? Right. Um, I know... Like they, there's a Neil Adams and David Mazzuchelli's Batman Year One is getting an artist edition. Right now, the subject of what the artist edition is, we don't know just yet. But it is the the artist in question is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Right. Um. So again, whatever is going to be picked as his seminal work that's going to get the artist edition, and what that is, it's kind of like what an oversized sort of thing where it was kind of how yeah. everything was drawn up originally, like facsimiles of those original pages that they would do. The best way to describe it is what they try to do is get their hands on all the original artwork for whatever they're doing. Because, like, basically, let's say they did a Walt Simonson Manhunter one. Yeah. And I believe Walt Simonson's a dude who doesn't sell any of his artwork. So it was real easy. They just scan all the original artwork. And, you know, back then it had the word balloons on it. And you put it up. So you're not putting out a comic. You're showing, like, the whole issue or whatever you can with scans of the art. So a lot of these guys who do the artist editions are always like, hey, you know, like on a site that I use comic art fans or whatever, if you have any pages from so-and-so, let us know. Um, and Jose is a guy who, like, I've talked to, um, and I know he has a lot of his original artwork uh, still around. He sell, sold a lot of stuff over the years. But I'm hoping the nuts and bolts of it are going to be those DC reference guides. Yes, the reference guides, the style guides. Yep, the style guides, because he was the king of that. And I think 
I still don't know why they haven't reprinted that style guide because they go for hundreds and like you you would get them back in the day uh, from the company if you work for them and they go for hundreds if not like thousands of dollars because they had like a, uh, a binder and everything. People want them. People will buy it. Uh, Jose is somebody who is, you know, like we said, have done a billion things for the promotional art and package art and everything. He doesn't have a super long uh length of stuff interiors you know what i mean like you'd be shocked at how little he's done for how prestigious he is but i'm hoping like i said this will be whatever it is i'll probably pick it up so yeah and these these um artist editions usually run like 150 bucks give or take um and you know we've mentioned jose's work before we mentioned here the style guides the reference guides and whatever, if you buy even to this day any sort of DC merchandise, like mass-marketed merchandise, where it's the quote-unquote classic looks of the characters, let's say a pre-crisis era, pre-modern era of the DC characters, it is invariably a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez design or somebody aping his design. Yep. Yep, totally agree. Yeah. And I mean, as a man who has manned his table once or twice, <laughs> Joe, you know, I'm not dropping any, you know, names or anything, but uh, I, like I said, I really hope, you know, that they do more of this stuff and the guy gets all the credit that he deserves, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now, I guess, last but not least, I kind of moved this on the uh, schedule, of course, only because, and we'll get into this. Right. So uh, I very much enjoyed Bill Willingham's Fables from DC Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it overstayed its welcome past issue 100, getting it to issue 150. But in a time when Vertigo was looking for their next big thing, this was it. Right. And Mark Buckingham is someone who is and has been around the comic book industry for quite some time. You know, when we do previewing the past, we're taught we we talk about and have been talking about his elementals for, you know, several years. It's always popping up there, right? Right. And we're always talking about Miracle Man twenty five. Right. And that's finally come out. Yeah. Um, so this was uh Fables was getting a redo, it was getting a twelve issue kind of revival. They got a launch with Bill uh, with Bill Willingham and Mark Buckingham doing a Big B, who's, you know, the Big Bad Wolf. Um, Batman crossover, kind of, to help promote, like, hey, Fables is coming back, let's do, like, a miniseries with Batman. Batman sells, right? Right. Um, so that comes out, and then the first, like, three or four issues of Fables comes out, and then this is a book that is perennially late. It's, you know, consistent. I don't think there's been an issue that's come out in quite some time. And from the time that these issues get solicited, the time that they come out is typically like three to four months behind. Mm -hmm. So obviously people were raising questions about this concern or so forth. Um, And just recently, Bill Willingham uh, took to Twitter and said, quote, uh, in answer to far too many requests, I'm tempted to explain the delays and issues of Fables, since DC has refused to do so. Short version, I handed in every script more than two years ago, and for multiple reasons, haven't worked with DC slash for DC since. I fired them. 
Wow. Okay. That was this afternoon prior to we were recording. Mm-hmm. So as we're getting ready, I'm opening up all my hot links, you know, getting everything ready. And I always like to double check some things to get some context to see what's going on in the world of comics, to see if any sort of new news has come across the wire, to see if anyone's misbehaving or anything else like that. So then I see that there's another Bill Willingham tweet that's uh, less than an hour old as of uh, we're discussing this. Mm -hmm. On the Ides of September, the 15th, a press release is going out to as many venues as I could reach, explaining what's going on with Fables. Hint, it's not what you think. Second note, please note that many of my favorite comic news sites won't receive this press release because you make it hard to near impossible to contact you. And yet, I suspect this is something you'll want to see, even if you decide not to carry the story. <laughs> right? Well, I tweeted at Bill Willingham and said, I'm about to go live on my podcast, and we're going to cover this. I'll take a scoop. And he hasn't replied. Of course not. He doesn't, you know, he's afraid of the, the, the range that we have, but no. <laughs> um... Todd, I have a feeling this one might be messy. Joe, I think in the first tweet, it was already messy. When he <laughs> fired one of the two major comic companies, Joe, it wasn't going to be, you know, amicable. And let's see where it goes from here. I have a feeling we'll be having a follow-up on next week's show. I, I have a feeling that we absolutely will be. Right. If it doesn't go live by the end of this show. I listen. I'm hitting. I'm not hitting refresh, but I got my eyes on it. There might be an update to the update at the end of this episode. Yes. Right. Yep. Okay. Uh, so that's news from this past week. A little bit more than we've had in the past. Um, got conventions this weekend. Right. Uh, we got an actual straight up comic book convention, the Granite State Comic Con in Manchester, New Hampshire. Oh, I thought you were going to say England. No, no. Uh, Craig Rousseau is going to be there. Freddie Williams II is going to be there of Red Letter Media fame. Uh, And he's actually done, like, a bunch of art on a bunch of stuff, too. And uh, Sean Gordon Murphy is going to be there. Mm -hmm. From the uh, world of entertainment, uh, Anson Williams and Donnie Most are going to be there. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's a get, man. That's, That's a Mark photo that I would think about. Do you think he still hates being called Potsy? Well, I do know that on the site they have him listed as Donald Most. No, Anson wasn't Anson. No, no, but I'm just saying that I think they're trying to shed that. But if you're going to be at a convention where you're paired up with uh, Ralph Mouth, I think you've embraced being called Potsy. Right. And that's it. There's nobody else at Granite, right? Well, from the world of sports and entertainment, yes, uh, Big Papa Pump himself, Scott Steiner, is going to be there, right? And one half of the uh, AEW six man tag team champions, um, Billy Gunn. Again, this is the clean show, so again, I'm not even <laughs> going to tiptoe around what they call him on the show these days. I was wondering what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Which uh, leads me to believe that maybe uh, the acclaimed and Billy Gunn are not going to be colliding this weekend. Lots of stuff I don't understand because my social media walls are holding. That's right. 
but of course, we also have the Edmonton Expo, which is under the Fan Expo umbrella. You all know the joke about there's only one that keeps them all afloat and the, all the other ones stink. Right. Uh, but I don't know. I'm looking at this uh, lineup. Uh, you know, there, there's no home run. Like, there's no, like, A++++, you know, in the business for 40-plus years creator. Right. But you got Zeb Wells. You got Steve McNiven. You got Yannick Paquette, Tony Harris, Tom Grummet, Jeremy Adams, you know, our new friend who writes Green Lantern and uh, Avengers. Carrie Nord on the comic book side, uh, media guest side. You got people like Carl Weathers, Jason Lee, Stephen Amell. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty stacked show. Yeah, yeah. Somebody go ask Amell how he feels about the strike today. <laughs> he might strike you. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. With an arrow or something. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, we got links to all that stuff in the show notes um, that accompany this episode, along with information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows go live, you can find them, of course, on your podcatcher of choice. You could find them on their own individual sites, but you could also find them at soon-to-be-named-network.com. And anytime anyone from the shows on the soon-to-be-named network go on some other show and they let me know, we could go ahead and put it up on the website as well, so you can't, you won't miss out on your favorite soon-to-be-named network personalities popping up all over the place. And those shows, of course, include this show that you're listening to right now, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Final Wrestling Place, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors Three, Profane Argument, Wings on Wings, Hiya Bussy, and uh, I'm checking my watch. The football season started, and I haven't seen a new episode of uh, our our boutique series, No Chance in Helmet, yet. I'll say, I think Marcus was too excited to do it. Mm. He had too much energy. I think he took too many certain things that were the next logical step. Oh, I don't have that loaded on my soundboard. <laughs> you don't have to. People will understand. But we'll see. Who knows? I don't know. It fell through the cracks. I think fantasy took precedence. Oh, okay. Uh, I can go one way, but I'm going to go another way. And Marcus, don't listen to this show, but he'll still appreciate me saying uh, he's been drinking too many energy drinks and running too hard. Okay. Okay. Um, but like I said, anytime any of the shows go live, you can go find them over at soon-to-be-named-network.com. You can also check out our friends who are doing stuff in and around the internets themselves. You can go check out West Coast retailer extraordinaire Mike Sterling's blog at progressiveruin.com. You can go check out our friend Kevin's blog at masslibrary.com. You can go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. He's got some, I'm not going to say new, but it looks like, new-ish stuff up there. Um, a lot of stuff is selling out, so I hope some of the plugs that we're doing here, uh, a lot of, you know, wrestling, sci-fi inspired stuff, kind of like the old muscle figures, a lot of that sort of stuff. He's got stickers. He's got all sorts of really cool stuff there. Um, you can go check out Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, still up at the Indiegogo. Um, still creeping, creeping ever so close. Uh, to that $9,000 mark. I know Jason is still out there beating feet. 
uh, promoting as much as he can, just as much as we're attempting to help him here. Uh, you can go check out Chris Runt's self-published comic over at his website for his podcast, fortressofcomicsnews.com, and that would be Battle Monsters. Go check out our friend Dave, who uh, I think is in the process of doing some home remodeling, maybe, um, of the band Cave People and artist Rosovia, their self-published comic that you can get at keepercomic.com.bigcartel.com. Mm-hmm. And if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic book shop. Comics on the Green. I got the Facebook page linked up. That's where Dave and the crew do most of their social media-ing. Uh, you can find out when the new books are in because books come in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I had a whole dust-up in regards to the multiple places that you have to go find where books are coming out online these days at the show at the shop this past week. Don't be like me. Uh, just follow Comics on the Green and you know when everything is coming out. Go sign up for their mail order subscription service. Get stuff mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly. And if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky. You can go check out her social media, which I also have linked up, so you can see her commissions, her process, her prints, and everything that she's up to. Yes. Uh, So that's all the plugs and the links and the show notes. Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin? I want to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which is uh, Fire and Ice, Welcome to Smallville, uh, written by Joanne Starr, uh, art by Natasha Bustos. I'm hoping I said that correctly. Spinning out of that Power Girl one shot, you know, they kind of, Fire and Ice, you know, were not doing things correctly when they were trying to help. So uh, Superman kind of told them, hey, why don't you go to Smallville and kind of set up shop there? I'll give you a place to live with, like, Ma Kent and everything. Um, So this is there, and it kind of starts in the future uh, with things going horribly wrong and then a flashback uh, where we get the origins of both Fire and Ice on the first page. And somebody said it. I forget who it was, and I'd like to give them credit. that I like that it's the uh, old ice... uh, origin and stuff like that so that's kind of kind of fun they end up uh leasing uh the big tees which was a uh a salon so they kind of move in there that's where their headquarters is going to be they i i didn't mean to interrupt they specifically call it formerly a beauty emporium (laughs) right right so uh, we also find out that the person helping them teased in the in the one shot uh, is Elrond. So right there, Joe, um, before I go any further, this book is, you know, got the Todd nod because it has Elrond. And then when you find Elrond is completely enamored because he's in Kansas, you know, in that that America kind of town that uh, he's just want he's he's just uh, fixated on apple pie. I was cracking up. Um, so they're setting up like a, a headquarters to do good and they have their bit of all like the files that they have that people aren't looking in on and just it's JLI character like JLI level villains that you would absolutely like believe would be of the, their ilk. Um, you know, we get the new supporting characters like one person says, hey, if you got this place and it's, you know, a beauty emporium. Uh, I used to work here. Why don't you hire me? And you can kind of, you know, make some extra cash. And then uh, Fire ends up not liking what's going on. So she ends up putting out a video that's like basically bring it on. Uh, I'm going to take all comers. And basically by this point, I feel like 
fires heavily taking from the booster gold camp, if you get mm-hmm. my meaning. And but there's definitely something up with her that doesn't feel right. Um, we get a cameo by Superman, which is kind of cool. And in the end, uh, things go wrong. Firefighting uh, with King Shark, who's always fantastic when they show up. And she's like, this didn't work out. So I'm going to call in a ringer. And uh, the person who answers the ringer, I'm absolutely a fan of. So I want to see where this goes. And I think the cameo at the end that's leading to the next issue is like a Jimmy Pistol, like, perfect character and since this character's popped up a little bit i'm hoping they're getting the push so uh i I had fun with this it it tickled everything that i wanted for like a jail ibook uh it was fun goofy not too serious uh there's some like hidden thing going on i like this a lot it just gave me a warm fuzzy nostalgic feeling for me yeah and uh, listen i I, I read Joanne's previous book that she did um, for Ahoy. Uh, the the gimmick, it was wrestling-inspired. I know Joanne has had a foot in that world. Um, you know, we don't know each other, but we know each other. Um, I really like this book. This book definitely feels like someone who grew up reading and loving the Giffen Dematis era JLI. Yes, a love letter to that, that yes. series. The stuff that I like the most about this, uh, there's there's one nitpick that I have, and I'm sure Todd knows what it is, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that in such a single issue, Joanne does so much world building of this little corner of the DC universe, this little corner of Smallville, like this literal street, this little beauty shop, this beauty emporium, whatever <laughs> it's going to be, right? Right. We're introduced to like two or three new characters. We got Tamarind, who used to work at the beauty shop, the Rocky, the waitress. We get lore that people in Smallville are notoriously bad tippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a bunch of like knockoff, newly created or never like probably like one off villains from like 30, 40 years ago that have never come back up. Um, that are all of the different cases that fire is trying to like, nobody's looking into lots wife. Right. Right. And I feel these are all new characters, but I don't know. Right. And that's the thing. I, whether they're new characters or they're characters that haven't been touched in 20, 30, 40 years, they're, they're new then. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the other strongest things is, uh, so first of all, the art is beautiful, right? I really like the art and it. it's very, and it's not, I don't want to say that it's soft, but it's definitely very much for the tone of the book. Yes. And I, I think soft defines the colors more than the. Yes. Other. Yes. There you go. Um, it, it's a lighter tone. It's a softer tone with the color palette that's being used. And that's how this book should be. Uh, but Joanne does a great job of getting Elrond's voice as well. Definitely. And that could be something that's tough to get. And she does a great job with that. Um, Todd teased the last page reveal. I had that spoiled on me before I read the issue. Oh, but it still didn't matter because as soon as I saw it happen, I'm just like, oh, this is the sort of book we're getting. Right. Joe, when I got it, I, 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 I may have leaped up and did like the jump in the air. And then I freeze framed and held there for a minute. 
So um, I would also so if I have a nitpick, Todd, this is my nitpick. Um, is it Elrod modeling something? No. Oh. So Fire goes into business for herself mm-hmm. and films a video where she challenges people, which is what draws King Shark and Superman is to step in and everything else like that. Um, and again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's gonna be like a nitpick sandwich, if you will, because I'm gonna say, uh, where she puts the video, Fire puts the video out on all the different social medias in the DC universe. Oh, I gotta add those to the list if I can find my old list. You know, like Wayne Book, Pixtagram, My Place. But we ended around in a bit where Fire puts all the stuff up there. Ice and Superman, specifically Superman, finds out about it. And then Fire does a bit where she talks to Tamarind, who's younger, like she's in her early 20s. And she's like, you're the next video we're putting up on the social media that you use. Cause there's no way that Superman uses the one that the kids are using. Right. So like, there's great bits like that. It was really a fun book. I highly recommend it. Um, it's the closest that we get to something I said at the beginning, what I discussed, the closest that we get to something that sounds, that sounds and feels like, um, a JLI Giffen to Mattis era book without right. being them. You know, I was worried you were going to go off on the bit where uh, the the one young lady, I forget the new character, who's the hairstylist, Tamarind, um, Tamarind, Tamarind is practicing, practicing her wares by putting a wig on Elrond. That's co- okay. Combing it out. I know how you are about bad wigs and Elrond. And I was just kidding. I was like, I wonder if this is going to come up. But I, I, I watched uh, Back to the Future with my kid this weekend. Right. And oh boy, the wig work in that film does not hold up under uh, high definition 4D, whatever. What? 4K, I think, is the word you're looking for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's a very sketchy uh, storyline anyway. So. <laughs> um, so the other book that we read from this past week is uh, Peacemaker Tries Hard, number five, written by Kyle Starks. With art by Stephen Pugh. Uh, this is sadly, I say sadly, the penultimate episode, uh, issue of the story. Mm. Um, I'll start with getting my complaint out of the way. Right. About this. I feel this issue moved too fast. Like, the book has moved at a breakneck speed. But I felt as though, especially with the stuff, and it's on the cover, and we know by now what the plot of the storyline is, is that Peacemaker was sent to get the DNA of Deathstroke so that uh, the brain of Mala and the brain can clone Deathstroke, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel as though there's like gags involving like the Deathstroke babies, teenage Deathstroke, um, and then again, of course, Warmaker, which is the one that, you know, the brain goes into. No spoilers. Um, But I feel as though like all of those things could have breathed on their own. Right. I'm not a writer, I'm not an artist, I'm not a creative person by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe it's just because I want more of this book. I feel as though like we could have did an issue on the babies, and that could have led to the teenager. And then we get the battle with the teenager, and then that the next issue cliffhanger is Warmaker. Like, I'm looking for ways just to extend this book further, I think, is what my issue is. Right, that's your big complaint, is it's not a 36-issue first arc. Yeah, um, but no, I, I'm with you. The one 
that I would not argue about is, and it's on the cover of the main issue, is the the, the Deathstroke baby fight. Yes. I really didn't think that was going to fly even in a black label book. Like, I can't see Peacemaker punching babies and, and uh, you know, it getting through at DC editorial, mm. even in a black label book. But I'm with you. That could have been stretched out longer. Um, but I do think the the thing that ends up happening in the end with Brain, um, like where he ends up, is not what we think. Because I think uh, little uh, uh, Bruce Wayne maybe hurt Brain a little bit. So I think he may not be the genius we think he used to be, if you get my meaning. I do. So, but I, I I love it. The art is is amazing, and if this doesn't kick off, like I said, the you know the the, the six part stories for the next twenty years, I'll be greatly depressed. We get a lot of B facts in this issue. Um, yes, and one B like uh, foreshadowing that like I was like, okay, this is definitely coming at some point, and I'm excited for that, mm-hmm. and. I like the bit where, you know, we're reading the book where Red B kind of puts everything together in regards to what the brain has been up to over their 80 plus year career of making stuff. Yes, he has many inventions under his. Yeah. Headband maybe maybe, maybe one that was even at the Alice Cooper concert this past weekend. Who knows? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we get like that bit of a revelation and, uh, you know, we're going to get to the end of this and we're getting stuff with the father figure in Red B that Peacemaker never had in his own father. Yes. Especially when there's the allusion to at however old Peacemaker is supposed to be in this book. He, he doesn't know about the birds and the bees. Yeah, he's not quite down with it. I'm still waiting for my lecture, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot in this issue, and I just, you know, this, this is me. I want this, I would love for this book to go on forever. Um, I just feel as though, um, you know, a couple things were rushed, but it's great. I loved it. I smiling the whole time. Uh, I can't wait for the finale, and I wish there was no finale. I agree. I I can't hear him. I can't hear a certain voice when I'm listening, when I'm reading it. You know, you just there's a certain voice in my head and it feels like the Peacemaker show. So, mm-hmm. yes, I can't wait for issue six. Uh, so that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday at noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them mailed to your home, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is – I'm currently in the lead over Todd with two correct guesses. I could have pivoted and said – anyway. Uh, but I go first, and I'm going to knee-jerk, reaction, and say the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Enfield Gang Massacre number 2. It is not. It is mm. Batman and Robin number 1 by mm. uh, Williamson. That was my second guess. Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed Enfield Gang Massacre, but I didn't like love it, and I've been really liking Williamson stuff. Um, and I'm looking for there's just something about that dynamic with those two characters that I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at your list, and is the book you're looking forward to most Daredevil number one? It is Daredevil number one. 
Um, so it's a new creative team on the book, right? right? Coming off that cliffhanger kind of ending from Chip Zdarsky. Yep. And I'll say it's a writer I'm not familiar with, uh, Saladin Ahmed, who has been pretty much the uh, Miles Morales writer for the better part of the last like five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested to see anytime that there's a new creative team. I'm in and have been sold on Daredevil since 1996. Outside of like two glaring omissions, um, I've got like the complete run of the book. Um, I'm excited to see what the new creative team has in store for Matt Murdock and his uh, his Rogues Gallery. His uh, what do they call it when it's uh, not just the villains, his supporting cast, if you yeah, will. Yeah, the supporting cast, yes. Yeah, yeah but, uh, and, you know, uh, the Batman and Robin will be interesting as well, since uh, it'll be interesting to see where it kind of fits into continuity, since there's, like, big to-do-ins in the main Batman stuff, you know? Yep. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out everything else that Todd and I have been up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and the current ongoing saga of Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we're going through the entire run of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, not just the 75 issues, because we're going to be talking about uh, issues 67 and 68 here. we still got another, what, three months left to go? Yep. Um, at least. So we got a lot to fill in there. Uh, so it's miniseries, it's one shot, it's things printed on the side of boxes for statues. We're getting into it all, and this is the part of the show where I turn things over to Todd, and I chime in from from here every now and then. But uh, yes, I, I got a feeling where we're going to go with a lot of this. Yep. Um, so we start with issue 67. Uh, obviously, as I always say, Neil Gaiman writer, art by Mark Hempel. Um, Corinthian is returning to the Dreaming, um, and he has Daniel with him because that was his thing, and he runs into Kane. And Kane basically fills the Corinthian in on everything that uh, has been happening. And he's like, oh, okay. And Corinthian says, like, Matthew the Raven kind of abandoned me. And boy, am I going to deal with him when I run into him. And that's not too ominous. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, he's like, oh, Ravens. Kane is like, and he ends up telling him a secret about Ravens, how they kind of created the world in this, like, fable kind of a thing. And Corinthian's like, wait a minute. Secrets? Aren't they, like, Abel's deal and yours are mysteries why are you telling secrets and like where's your brother and they do a, like a cool shot of Kane where he like looks none too happy because obviously the Furies have killed Abel uh, by this point um, so they end up like setting off to go to uh, the castle for refuge um, and while they're doing all this they're talking they get there and the gatekeepers basically say the, that are left like uh, the three of you, you know, you can, or, uh, the four of you can come in. And, like, Corinthians like, four? There's only three of us. And that's when we find out that uh, that Kane can say we because he has a goldie in his pocket, Joe. <laughs> Where he's like, and I was like, I thought that was a really nice thing because as the murderous freak that uh, Kane is, like, him saving Goldie, which Abel loved, was a nice little uh, touch. You know what I mean? Um, so we get to Nuala who's, uh, talking with Morpheus 
And he basically fills her in, uh, you know, because he kind of hinted that things are bad about what's going on with the kindly ones. And they're after him for killing his son. Um, and she kind of says, like, when she he gives her the, the whole Iggy, and she's like, you want them to push, punish you, don't you? And he gives, like, no answer. There's kind of that, like, look that, that Morpheus always kind of gives people when he doesn't want to breach a subject. Um, and he begins to, like, talk about his imprisonment, like, 80, uh, for 80 years. And that in the end, he told Ishtar that he hadn't changed. But he thinks he kind of lied to her, which is kind of a you know running thing through it. Like when he saw destruction, everybody kind of sees it on him, could smell it dripping off him that he's not the man um, that he once was. And he's like, "All right, this is all well, gone." No, Go not to right, not to interrupt you. He kind of goes off into a soliloquy about you know when he was um, held captive, um, and then he says, "I told Ishtar," which again is. Um, Okay, Ishtar is when they were going looking for um, destruction. Destruction. Uh, was the dancer. Ishtar that she was wrong, that I was not changed, that I did not change. But in truth, I think I lied to her. So again, he's not fully admitting that he changed. But he thinks it. Yes, yes. Like, And that's like a huge step for Morpheus to take. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she ends up like, well, like, what will you do? And he's like, I shall return to my realm and I shall do what I have to. Um, and he's like, oh, by the way, uh, you know, I'm, that boon, I owe you a boon. Um, and he asks, what do you want? She says she wanted him to love her. And he's like, but basically he says, like, that's not a gift you can give. And I like her answer. She's like, well, I gave my love to you all those years ago. And he's kind of like, you did? You know, like in a kind of like, oh, oh, shucks kind of moment. Um, and she's and he's like, well, you know, I can't give you my love. Right. Uh, well, and again, just to kind of interject. And again, we, we're, do, we're going to do a lot of reading here as we get to the end of this. Mm-hmm. When Nuala says, I gave you my love. Uh, I gave all my love to you years ago. And Morpheus says, did you? I did not realize. And a pause on reflection. While I cannot give you the thing itself. I can give you a dream of my love. And she mm-hmm. says, I already have that. Yep. And those panels, that discussion shaped so much of a teenage me to right. this day. Yep. So, so good. Um, and along the way, she kind of tells him, like, could you just run? You know what I mean? I, I kind of got out of there. He's like, they would follow me because she wanted to go off and, and be with them. So I always found that, like, that's kind of cool. So Rose goes to visit Zelda because she's back from uh, England, and she goes to hospice, and she finds out that that Zelda died while Rose was in England. Uh, And they do this great bit where Rose discusses getting someone's affairs in order that has passed away that was a scene that kind of fell on deaf ears in 1990s for, you know, 20-year-old Todd, but rereading it as 50-year-old Todd, Joe, is a complete change where she ends up basically, like, discussing, you know, like she was hoping for miracle cures, but there was no miracles, no magic, no dreams. In the end, it's just pain and death and visa slips because you have to pay for, like, all the funeral and stuff. And I'm like, that is one of the greatest descriptions I have ever 
uh, hurt of being left behind after someone has passed. You know what I mean? Just so good. And, and I'll throw this in, Todd. I'm old enough to remember when places did not have a machine that would run your credit card. Mm-hmm. They had like this little, like uh, almost like a mimeograph thing. The knuckle buster. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that's what it, well, again, that's what, I don't think that was the industry term for it, right? Right. It was the thing you put it in, you would slide it, it had a handle and you slid it across. Yes. Every person that I knew in retail called that the knuckle buster. Because you would occasionally scrape your knuckles trying to do it. Because what you would need to, you know, you would fill out the form of how much you were paying. You would sign it. They would lay your card down in like the little plate, put the piece of paper over it, run the thing over it to like do the mimeograph of your card number. Right. And then they would send that out to like their billing, to their bank, to the credit card. So, like, you would have something that you would pay with your credit card, and it wouldn't hit the card for, like, days. Yep. And that's how, like, a lot of, like, stealing money from it, because you wouldn't know. Right. And that's why credit cards kids back in the day had punched raised numbers on them, like Braille. Because when you would you needed to go over that to, to mimeograph on the, you know, the, 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 the sheets and everything. I definitely remember all that. Um, so she's kind of like messed up. Rose is messed up as she's leaving. Um, and she's carrying the gifts that she brought for, uh, Zelda. And I do like that she comes out of the hospice and goes past the, the alleyway that Lida, that she walked past Lida before, like many issues ago. So I dig all that kind of stuff. And she ends up finding the old man who's the homeless man who's been running through, uh, uh, a lot of these issues and he she's like oh do you want this i got like chocolates and flowers he's like you know and she gives them to him it's the chocolates that he's really into and that's when we find out barnabas the talking dog the delirium is looking for <laughs> has been with this old man the whole time um and i thought that was uh uh really cool now when we saw the old man earlier in previous issues it was kind of intimated that, like, they don't come right out and say it, but they give us some clues that maybe he might be one of those folks that have been alive for a very long time, mm-hmm. like a hobgalding. And do you think maybe Barnabas was attracted or vice versa, just the way that everything is connected uh, in the, the Sandman mythos? Right. Yeah. So uh, we're back in the dreaming and Corinthian and Lucian and Cain are, you know, sitting around watching Daniel and they're discussing if Morpheus will be back because he's been summoned away uh, or he's left and they don't know where he went. And they basically have a big discussion about like what's going to happen. Is he coming back? And they're like, yeah, he is. He even came back last time. But then they go into like what happened to the realm, how it fell into disarray. Uh, with all that, and the Corinthians, like, yeah, I, rem- I kind of remember that. And Lucian's talking about uh, his memories and everything like that. He's like, that's you're kind of remembering the old Corinthian. Um, and they're like, oh, well, what about Daniel? Like, he's just a kid here with like in the, everything that's going on. And they're like, let's find him something to play with. And they're like, yeah, dreaming isn't like some place you can just grab things. And you know, we're in the throne room, kind of. And they're like, yeah, let's just give him this. And they give him this big orb, and it flashes, and everything goes white. And they're like let's find him something else to play with kind of a deal. Um, and I thought that was a, like a really cool shot. Um, we cut to destiny in his garden 
with multiple versions of Destiny walking around and they're t- each talking to each other. And the gist of it is that certain events that are happening now will bring about the reality storm, which was in World's End and everything like that. So, um, you know, whatever it is now is happening is is what kick-started all that. And uh, Sandman is coming back to the dreaming and he's taking like a coach and this and that and he ends up on a train and the very interesting thing is if you look at the outfit that morpheus is wearing do you remember the story in world's end where the guy falls asleep in the city's asleep and that's the whole story he thinks like the city is a dream and he meets morpheus on the train and asks mm-hmm. him what's going on and morpheus doesn't say anything to him that's the train and that's the exact outfit from issue 54 or wherever it was around so i like when stuff kind of kind of plays into all that nice Um, yeah that is so cool uh so he gets back to the dreaming and he greets everyone but he's especially interested in daniel and you know like uh kane's like well what about my brother you know you owe me and you know kane's getting you know getting intense but uh, morpheus is like not now and even kane who can be a murderer like crazy man he's like i'm not getting on morpheus's wrong side um so the Furies show up at this point, you know, the three of them as, as, as it, and they basically, you know, get up in his face and he stands up to them, but they end up whipping him in the face with that uh, scorpion whip and leave a big scar. And that's a really cool shot with uh, Morpheus because he's the black and white that is, we know. And then you have that red bit dripping down his face and he's like, you dare kind of a deal and things kind of go black and that's when Lyda who is bonded with the Furies notices that Daniel is there and she's like we don't have to do this anymore my son's alive and they're like no 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 like that's not what we do we're not about you know he's not even alive anymore she's like but he's right there we have to rescue him and she's like the the Furies like no we're not in the rescue business we're in the revenge business and I just I just want to kind of throw in here real quick of course we talked last week in regards to when we see the um, text for the Furies, the uh, monologue, the inner dialogue, whatever, it has like that red around the edges of them. Border, and, yes. Right, and Lida, of course, is just like a normal word box or whatever it is. So obviously that conversation happens there, and then we go to whatever their realm is. And I feel as though this is the first time that we're getting a chance to see the Furies for who and what they are, which is just ugly, horrible monsters. And amongst it all here's Lyda in this suit of armor where mm-hmm. this is the whole thing of she sees herself on a, cur- a courageous quest as the hero of the story to save her son from the evil Morpheus Sandman who made these threats to her all these years ago but when you look at who she is paired up with and who she is thrown in with um, obviously like she doesn't come to the realization at this point but I think this is set up in a way for us to be like, this is the moment where Lyda should understand that she's wrong in what she's done to get to this point. Now, obviously, right. her son was kidnapped and killed and everything else that's going to happen. Um, but I definitely feel as though this is the point where we're supposed to like see that Lyda made a mistake. Yes. Um, and I will say, as you're saying these horrible things, I feel like... but. They're only horrible in this version of the three witches, if that makes any sense. Yes. 
Like when they're the fates, they're not horrible. They're just what their job is. But as the Furies, definitely drawn as uh, you know, horrible looking because that's the what they're supposed to represent. And they end up saying about the revenge thing, like we're revenge. We're not, you know, uh, it's not about your son. It's about the son he killed. And we're doing this because we hated his son. And she's like, well, why? And they, because she made, he made us cry. And that all goes all the way back to the Orpheus uh, one shot special where he went down to sing for his wife and, you know, they ended up crying. And that's like their, their bit of revenge all that, you know, long ago. So Lucian comes to Morpheus and asks him, like, hey, are you going to keep that scar? And he ends up talking about how Eleanor, who was the woman who he, one of the women he dated from Game of You, who, like, he set her essence free. She's like, she said, she predicted that I would get a scar, like the one she had on her face and the one that I gave her and left on her heart. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that I'm, what I might do with it. And if you go back to game of you, she does have a scar on her face. And back then I was kind of of the mind, like, do I mention it or bring it up? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but it was so long ago, I didn't kind of, uh, mention it. Um, so Lucian basically, uh, says, what, what, what are you going to do? And Morpheus kind of gives them the, the Iggy where he's like, I'll do whatever I can and I'll do whatever I must. And at this point, as you're reading it, he's doesn't it in your mind, you don't know all the rules, but you don't feel with everything that they say to him that he has a lot of options. You know what I mean? So very, very uh, dreary, like that kind of sentence to him. He says, but first he has to talk to Daniel and he says, I want you to bring him and the Eagle Stone to me. And he's like, the Eagle Stone, you mean the Emerald? And he's like, yes bring it to me. And then he ends up, you know, reliving various sentences throughout the issue and in the past. And he's like, I, uh, I need to interject. This is my part that I requested. Yes. I'm sorry. I didn't know where you wanted to go. As I hold up my hand, right. Mm -hmm. He reminisces to the part where Nuala tells him what he could do. Right. Mm -hmm. But in that last page, it's a full, you know, it's a, it's not a full page shot. It's like a two third page shot of Morpheus standing in that archway holding the helm. And it says this, Todd. Rules and responsibility. These are the ties that bind us. We do what we do because of who we are. If we did otherwise, we would not be ourselves. I will do what I have to do. And I will do what I must. And I know this is not the first time that these words have appeared in a Sandman comic, but the fact that they're back again... I love these phraseology because the first, and again, these, this, this verbiage was ripped off word for word, line for line for, for a sad Scotty Flamingo ECW promo. Of course it was. So there's so much of Morpheus. There's so much of Sandman that I hear in what would be Morpheus's voice. But whenever this comes up, I hear it in Raven's voice. That's, that's me bringing up my wrestling. Everything's tied together right. to be to be continued. And the thing that I kind of want to mention about this last shot, which is it takes you all the way back to the battle where he's going to fight D and, you know, to get back his ruby. Yeah. And it's the exact shot. And he's done it before where he's standing in the archway and he has the, 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 the cloak with the flames and he's holding the helm. And I'm like, Joe, 
this is a this is going to be a battle for his life, and that's all I'll say. Yep. Um. So we ready for issue uh, sixty eight? Yeah, and hey, I just want to just throw out real quick, uh, issue 67, issue 68, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we get those opening panels where previously we had seen that tie, the line, the cord, the string. And two issues ago, that line was cut, right? Mm-hmm. But we get the first panel from issue 67 where the Corinthian says, who's there? And then yeah. we have the first panel... For issue sixty-eight, where more or or Matthew says, still here. Then I feel as though because from the beginnings when Neil was laying that sort of stuff out, like how a story never goes where you think it's going to go and things are going to kind of go along, where these are Neil putting things in of like saying like, "Hey, are you still hanging with us? We're still, you know, you're still here. We're almost done," sort of stuff, right? Right kind of asking the re- the readers because I'm sure, you know, we, we, we talk about it in previewing the past. Uh, during this time, there is a bigger push with Vertigo. Um, you know, around right around the time that these issues come out, we get the big push of Death Month, where there's a lot of, like, death Sandman-related stuff that's being solicited, put out, and so forth. So one would have to think that there is an uptick in readership that they're seeing, and this is Neil's way of kind of, like, acknowledging that, maybe. But maybe right. I'm reading too much into all this. Maybe that one that's that's above my pay grade. So. All right. So uh, you know the issue starts. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Hempel art again, and, and like you said, Matthew shows up and basically says, "What's going on?" And he's like, "Well, I'm about to confront the Furies, um, and while I'm doing so, you know, I've spoken to Daniel." Uh, so that happened off camera, um, and I'm comp- contemplating the Emerald kind of a deal. And, uh, oh, by the way, the Corinthian is planning on killing you because you deserted him. He's like, what? I was pulled away. Uh, that's not my fault. Could he kill me? He's like, yeah, not permanently. Uh, but, uh, he's like, can you talk to him? He's like, I'll try. And basically, you know, there's a cool shot of Morpheus, you know, cause every time we see him, he's always been white and black with occasionally red. Now the green on his face is very like, you know, intense and different looking to me. And he's contemplating the, the, uh, the, the emerald and you know like kind of a penny for your thoughts um and he's like you have no pennies you know and they go down the list and he talks about uh, how a gem has facets and how you look at it like a, a one thing can be different things depending on how you you kind of hold it um and i think there's deeper meaning there especially where we're going and in the end he's matthew's like what's your point and he's like uh no, you know, I, I have no point, but he he, he kind of does. Um, he, he just says, um, you know, save for the jewel, the facets, the light. We see an aspect of the whole, but the facet is not the jewel. Mm-hmm. So, again, he just kind of, you know, reiterating the way that we look at things is just from different angles and the way that we perceive things and so forth. And as Morpheus is getting ready to leave... Um, he gives the emerald to Daniel. Right. Where we just kind of established in the previous issue where they give him like that shining that globe. glass orb or globe or whatever it is, and things, you know, change almost immediately. Again, uh, I would assume that something that 
Morpheus had kept, stowed away, one of the many dream stones that he created, and he gives it to Daniel again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Big things are going to happen here shortly. Yep, and I do like, did you notice the toys that Daniel was playing with? Uh, yes, they're all the um, the toys it, that Barbie played with. That yes, were her friends. I, yes, I mean, it all comes around, Joe. It all comes around. And he's like, so basically, uh, you know, Matthew says, well, why don't you just poof him out of existence? You're one of the most powerful. He's like, even the gods, even us, even though, you know, we're above them. Like, we have our rules, you know, like he always says. And, you know, I've spoken to the kid and now I'm going um, I bid you farewell. I shall not forget you. And does his magic, and he's standing there, and Matthew's still there, and he's like, I, I sent you away. He's like, you know that don't work. I, like, we've tried this before, um, and I, I was able to stay. He's like, you don't think you're coming back? He's like, no, I don't. And and Matthew's like, if I go, am I coming back? He's like, probably not. And then I like uh, – uh, the thing where he's like a penny for your thoughts, which like Raven uh, Matthew did. And he's like, ah, what am I going to do with a penny? And he says, uh, you know what? I was thinking about duty and second chances. Well, what are we going to do? Let's go knock him dead, boss. Which is, you're like, ooh. So he ends up, you know, he's heading off to the Furies. So now as this book goes on, it's going to jump off, be like what's going on in the world. So... I'm just going to go through the characters that uh, that we hit. So we, Delirium ends up who's looking for Barnabas, and she goes to Lux um, on her trail, and she runs into McKee, uh, to Mizikeen, and I, I still don't like the whole she's missing a mouth, so Neil writes her. That's the one of the few nitpicks I ever have about this book is I have to figure out what she says. But usually from the dialogue, you can figure it out. And uh, Lucifer says, let her in. And he gets, they end up talking. And I do like uh, that Lucifer's talking about his brother, uh, Delaire's brother. And he's like, you know, I told him years ago that he should leave. Like when, when I left hell, I tried to prompt him. But, you know, because he gave me the impetus to, to leave. And I tried to return the favor. Um, uh and, you know, you, you don't have to stay anywhere forever. And Delirium says, like, I, I leave places. Like, I'm sure you do. But she says, but Dream doesn't. I don't think he can. Um, and I like, he's like, you know, I swore to destroy him. He's like, why? And I like that, like, the way Lucifer remembers because he said something clever once. It's not important. But now I feel sorry for him. And he's like, what should I do? He's like, nothing you can do, honey. Like, go find your dog, you know? Like, uh, so I kind of feel sorry, but I also uh, uh, wish I was delirium because I don't see what's coming. You know what I mean? Like she's kind of oblivious at times. Um, so we get Rose, who goes to see Vixen, who was in one of the past uh, issues on TV. That Rose is like, I do not like that person. Um, well, we find out that it's Hal under a new persona who's like selling CDs and everything like that. Um, and she comes to tell her that Zelda is dead. It comes to tell uh, Hal that Zelda is dead. And he's like, ah, but you had a falling out, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I don't care. I'm not going to this wedding. He's like, but me and you, we were it. And uh, he's like, I'm still not going. And she kind of like tells him off uh, and leaves. So um, I, I just have to throw in there. Yeah, yeah. So she's just like, hey, listen, 
um, come to Zelda's funeral. You were only the one last people. And, you know, Hal's new persona, whatever that character is, and it's him in drag doing, like, TV shows. I think it's supposed to be, like, a nod to, like, a Dame Edna-type character, right? Mm -hmm. But there's specifically a a piece where, a a piece in uh, their conversation where Hal is changing out of the, you're changing back into, like, jeans and a t-shirt, right? Right. And there's a panel where he's got the wig, he's got, like, the bald cap on, he just has the jeans on, and you can see his back. That is almost exactly the same panel as from the beginning of The Kindly Ones with Lucifer. Yep, definitely, because it almost looks like the shoulder blades are his wings cut off. Yes. Which is a nice, like, you know, homage. And an, Yeah, very intentional uh, there, yes. Yep. So now we're in Fairy. And Nuala is very sad, you know, because it's going on. And that little uh, imp fairy comes and tells uh, her the rest of his poem. And it, it, in essence, it's about uh, choosing kind of a deal. And she says, Clericon, I know it's you. And he's like, why? And he's like, all the clues are there. You're so egotistical that, you know, I could see that it's you writing it. And then you want the adulation for for what you say. Um and I, I just kind of noticed notice it. And she's like, uh, and she says, well, what's the matter? He goes, ah, because my Lord Morpheus is in, is in trouble. He says, Lord Shaper is in dire need and he doesn't love me. And he's like, would it be better if he was in dire need and he did love you? Which is two quotes that have stuck with me since I read them. And I always take that back. Like, that is true. What would you rather him love you and you, and he, we, you go down together? kind of a thing i don't know that's really cool um but she ends up saying like you put the glamour on me to save me from banishment could you take it off i i i i don't like this and she's like i did it to save you and he's like but i want my true true shape for my journeys like journeys like you said your silly poem we are what we choose to be and i choose to leave give me my face back um so you know nuwal is standing up for herself in the in fairy um, and finally, we get uh, Corinthian guarding Daniel and the little emerald in, in the, the throne room. And death shows up and Corinthian stands off. And he's like, you've got to get through me. And uh, he's like, you know, I'm fine with you. Know, I'm fine with you taking me. He's like, I'm not here for the two of you. Um, where's my brother? And Lucian comes in and, you know, he's with the ladies, you know, the Furies. And they discuss books because last time Death saw Lucian, it's books. And Lucian, being unnerved, just starts babbling, which I can totally understand. And she's like, not now. Um, You know, this isn't the time. He's like, okay. Um, She's like, well, I can wait for him to come back. Uh, So, obviously, we're back to uh, Morpheus and uh, Matthew going to, to fight them. And he's talking about, like, where we're going, like, you know, in, in the dreaming. And uh, it's like, okay, this is it. And he's like, I just want to tell you, it was good being your raven. It was good being your friend. And once again, Morpheus, who's king of the emotions, Joe, he's like, friend? He's like, I don't know, whatever. Um, and he's like, ladies, let's do this. This is the time. This is the place. Um, and they're just waiting on them. And this is when uh, Matthew asks more about, you know, the Ravens, because he's like, he'll know. He's like, what happens to him? He's like, you know, 
like kind of what happened to some of them. One of them went away. One of them was returned to humanity. Um, uh, and one of them was Lucian. And Lucian, what was he? Was the he was he the was the first, first Raven. Yep, and he's like, wow, he said he didn't remember his early days. Uh, that's kind of cool. We find out that's, you know, what, so you could stay in the dreaming after your, your, your raven, uh, your, your tour of duty, if you will. He's like, well, what about me? And that's when the Furies show up. And they basically, you know, come after him. They say, take your stance. He's like, I'll fight you. Take your stance. We're going to take your world bit by bit, shred by shred. Your son's blood is on your hand. Um, and, you know, there's nothing you can do. And he's like, so you'll, you know, not be satisfied with anything less. And Matthew's like less than what? And I like that every time Matthew chimes in, uh, Morpheus is like, hush, like this is, this is beyond your pay grade. He's like, Oh, okay. I have no alternative. I see. Um, he's like, you know what you're doing is going to have repercussions. And they're like, doesn't scare us. He's like, don't care. Just want to say. And then he says like, he starts taking off his helm. He's like, we make choices. No one else can live our lives for us, and we must confront and accept these consequences of our actions, which is kind of a thing that has been said, like even Destiny said to him over the course, and him taking off the helm, like that's not a good sign for battle. And Matthew's like, you're you're nuts. He's like, listen, I have a task for you. And he's like, I'm staying with you. And he's like, and these, these words give me chills. He's like, this will be the last thing I will ever ask of you. Will you deny it? And he's like, what do you need? He's like, here, take these. And he gives him the pouch and the helm. He's like, take them back to my throne room. My sister will be there for me. He's like, ah, they're kind of big. And he shrinks them down, which is kind of cool. And Morphe says, take them. And Matthew says, please. And he's like, what? I'm sorry. He's like, take them, please. And he's like, I apologize. Will you take them, please? Sure, no problem. He's like, and wait with them. He's like, I don't, I don't get to come back. He's like, no, afraid not. I will see you then when you come back to the castle. I'll wait for you there. And Morpheus only answers with goodbye. And I'm, and he ends up like throwing his cloak into the into the like chasm, and he's standing there. And Joe, in that second to last panel, the one that goes across the top. He almost looks content, doesn't he? And Matthew gets back to the to the throne and he lands and he sees death and he says, he said you'd be here. He wants you to go to him. I don't think that's a good sign either, Joe. Oh, my heart is in my throat right now. So, you know, obviously as big as that all is, um, Matthew being the one to get Morpheus to finally say please yep and thank you and you know show a shred of humanity yeah yeah definitely and i know we say this and i run into the ground but neil does it how far has san morpheus changed joe so much and it seems small but like they establish it all through the book. Like these like minute are huge for him. He was carved in stone to what he was. I respect this book so much. Joe. And I don't know if I've said it before. Sandman's pretty good. Oh, love that's Sandman. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but you know, obviously like even further still, as he gives the, 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 ba- the bag of sand, he gives the helm to Matthew to take back. 
and then he's just standing there and he takes you know the the cloak off he takes the gloves off he takes the shirt off mm-hmm. and he's just standing there in the rain you know as vulnerable as he possibly can be and yeah he summons death to him uh, but that joe that's just for a talk everything's going to be okay tell me everything's going to be okay joe you know that line in Reservoir Dogs where Harvey Keitel is driving and uh, Tim Roth has been shot in the gut. Mm-hmm. And I can't say it here because he swears with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Tim Roth is uh, hyperventilating. He's, 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 you know, obviously he's been shot in the gut. And Harvey Keitel's uh, trying to calm him down. And then he just keeps trying rhythmically getting him to say, you're going to be okay. Say the words. You're going to be okay, Todd. It's not going to be okay. I'm going to need a minute. All right. So while you get your minute there, uh, next week we're going to be reading issues 69 and 70. And again, just unfortunately the way that things worked out, if you're reading this in single issues, no worries. If you're reading this in any, any, you know, non-oversized hardcover, you know, extended edition, if you're just reading these like in the normal trades... That's the last issue, 69, of The Kindly Ones, and issue 70 is the first issue of The Wake, which is the final trade paperback of the main 75-issue story arc. That's right. Next week, we begin to take it home, Joe, on the main series. Yeah, on the main series, but we still got a lot more uh, ground to cover. Right. I think we'll have to do, like, a post-coda, like, once we're done, we get to issue 75, just to kind of reflect on everything that we've done up to this point, you know? Yeah, because that was pretty much was, I mean, I always felt Neil could go on, but that was pretty much it. Like, that's the, the heart of Sandman, 1 to 75 and that special. And the Death Mini. Yeah. And all the other stuff that we did. It was all the heart. <laughs> well, you know, we, we talked before when we were doing uh, Proving the Past, where they interviewed Neil about all this. And he says... Um, he says that he had an idea of where, like, he could have ended it, like, around issue 25 if he needed to. Yep, he had yep. an idea of where he could end it around, like, issue 50 if he needed it to, you know? He even said, I didn't think I was going to get to 12, so I had a way out, like, or I thought I would only get a year, so at 8, I was like... You get the death issue, and those last four issues, I would set up where where we were going, be a hard out, and then hope that it, hope that this little book caught traction, that DC would let me answer all the questions in a miniseries afterwards. Can you believe that in 1980, whatever that he like looking back, that it was like, oh, this book would have ended, and maybe they would have let me answer some questions. Wow, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or he's the he's the linchpin. He's what carries the entirety of that universe, you know. Yep, yep. Yeah. I still stand by that. The reality storm was Neil trying to give the the rub that like, hey, Sandman's responsible for all crises. You know what I mean? Right. And everyone, and I'm like, I as I always say, I'll give him credit for every crisis from here on out. Joke. <laughs> anyway, that's why I'm shocked we didn't get anything in uh. Night terrors with it, you know. I know it's been a long time, but you know they they were 
attempting to make us believe that something was going to happen, you know? I'll say this. While Neil is still breathing, they will never try to upset him because all they have to do is write a check that he can find time to cash and write a story that will make money and be in reprint forever. So, like, if they get somebody to swoop in and start tweaking the Sandman stuff, and he's like, all right, I'm done. I'm, like, I've written everything I need. They always want to leave that door open a crack to print some money. Look at Sandman, the the Helm edition, where there's going to be a small story. I'm buying it. You know what I mean? And that will be reprinted again. And then we have to figure out if we have to do a coda after the year is over and do a special episode on the the last uh, the last story or whatever. We're going to see where we're going to fit that in. But well, none, of, none of them. Have, I know they were. Did we talk that there was a version that was for sale at San Diego Comic-Con? Oh, yeah. We never looked for that. Yeah. I, I have a safe search, Todd. Nothing's come up yet. OK. OK. <laughs> I have a safe search and, and an alert for it as well. So because we have to discuss whether or not. That goes on the what I'm looking forward because that's the layup of what I'm what I'm looking forward to next week. But if it has to be saved till the end of Sandman, it can't go into the running. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I think it has to be saved to the end of Sandman, Todd. Yes, because we're reading it in chronological order of how they came out. So exactly. All right, we'll discuss all this off mic. We want to make this a short show, Joe. Oh, it's close. Gotcha. Uh, so, hey, Todd, we had an art attack this week, did we not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan from uh, Comic Consigliere. Uh, for Todd's art attack this year at Baltimore uh, Comic-Con, the yearbook that focused on the 40th anniversary of First Comics included prints if you got at least 20 signatures, and there was a quite array of talent, including David Mack, Kevin McGuire, and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Um, those are all gorgeous. The prints are beautiful. Uh, I love the... Uh, the uh, Kevin Maguire, obviously, anytime he does an homage of his uh, elevator shot from Justice League number one, I love it. And I'm still sad that I didn't go to Baltimore this year. And I do love the yearbooks that they do every year, which they get all the people that are there to like contribute. And then obviously they give you the sheet. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like it has all the page names that are in there and you can get them to sign the page. And if you get the, the goal is to get them all. But if you get X amount, they'll give you the set of prints that come with the book. So people try. Love it. Think it's one of the coolest things that's unique to Baltimore Comic Con. I'm shocked that no one else has tried to uh, emulate that or steal that. Ape it, Um, yeah. And I'm kind of glad that no one has tried. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so thanks, Dan, for sharing that stuff with us. Glad you had a good time in Baltimore. I uh, also tipped us off for next year. The dates are the twenty second or the twentieth, twenty second, and uh, I not that you would have known this last week, Todd, of course, but I understand that um, uh, Bruce Springsteen was sick and they had to postpone the concert last weekend. I think they canceled the rest of his tour. They told oh, okay. me it's with rumors that he might be done touring forever, but I don't want to, you know, say that. But that's the scuttlebutt that's out there. Listen, I know a guy that loves Bruce Springsteen more than he loves life itself. And when I see him on Saturday, I'll be sure to ask him. Because right. if anyone knows, it's him. 
I wonder if the guy from the Alice Cooper concert will show up at the Bruce Springsteen one. No, Al, okay, I was going to say he ain't showing up this Saturday. He will not be welcome. I can assure you that. Gotcha. Uh, But uh, so, and again, I would be also remiss, you know, we did plug to let everyone know uh, that the signups was there for Pigskin Pickums. The group is locked at 45 folks. Thank you, everyone, for signing up. Don't forget to do your picks, of course. Um, I think you have to have them in, like, right before kickoff of whatever the game is. And there's the Thursday... There's the Thursday game. Uh, it's always good to get them in. And I know uh, Todd does a good job of trying to send out that reminder to folks. So keep your eye on social media for that sort of stuff as well. And uh, how? And again, so listen, I'm not going to come on here and start doing some sort of braggadocious thing in week one. Okay. Right. Who would do something like that? But I do want to say I was inundated with just as many texts as I got about something that we're going to talk about at the end of the show. Mm hmm. That the the night game had not even started yet, and the afternoon games weren't even over yet. It was third quarter mm-hmm. with minutes left to play, and I'm getting people accusing me of somehow rigging my picks. You can't. You can't. Listen, you can rig a draft order. You can't rig the pigskin pickups. Right, there's no spread, there's no nothing like that, it's just straight, who do you think's gonna win? And I'm tied for second at this point? Yes, yes. All right. You had a good run, we'll see how it goes. (laughs) You got lucky, son. You got lucky. You're not destined to win the way the the Raiders are after the first week. You just got lucky. You are... The New York Jets after losing uh, Aaron Rodgers. You got lucky, son. If I knew what any of that meant, Todd. <laughs> I'll explain it all, and you'll be riveted after the show. So I will I will just say this. Um, I, my picks were locked in over a month ago. I didn't touch them. I didn't look at them. I didn't do nothing. After I saw people talking this past weekend, did I think think about going in and changing all the times that I picked the Giants to win to not having the Giants win? Yes, I did. But that would then uh, foul up the integrity of the bit that I put my picks in and never look at them ever again. The Giants stunk on ice. Oof. Yeah, all the Giants fans that I'm friends with, and there's quite a bit, were, uh, were, were hurting this weekend. Hurting. Yeah, they weren't on it, but I, as as I say, they weren't playing football. They were out there killing grass. <laughs> uh, but listen, none of this matters because the Raiders are in first in their division, right? But as I always say, what's silver and black and first in their division? The Raiders. Oh, I was going to say the Spurs, but... Right, I don't know who they are. That sounds like uh, somebody who's wearing chaps. No, San Antonio Spurs in the NBA. I think their colors are silver and black. Is that the thing where you throw the ball in the peach basket? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, like I said, don't for- if you're in, you're in. Don't forget to do your picks. Uh, the goal is to beat me. Yes. <laughs> Who doesn't want to beat Joe? That's right. Uh, and far be it from me uh, not to, to give credit where credit is due. Uh, I'm tied with Fwad Ramses of the great film uh, Blood Freak. And mm-hmm. I don't know who hashtag boycott Big Pumpkin is. I, I assume that's one of Todd's many burner accounts that he has it here. 
wait a minute, I have zero burner accounts other than Todd's Art Attack, which I straight up say is me. Uh-huh. I don't know of any other accounts that you can link to me other than my sketchy Doug-like account, um, which I tell no one about. Um, the other ones are all, you know, just those two and Longbox Heroes. <laughs> Do I have to expose your business on the air? What? Name one other one. I don't know what you're talking about. Executions? What? Executions? That, that's another one that's out there, and I was that was for only one thing, uh-huh. counting, counting the deaths that Jonah Hex had in the DC Universe, and it has not tweeted a thing since. And to stuff the ballot box on the uh, worst villain poll from last year, I'm well aware. Well, what you're talking about. <laughs> Mr. Back when I when you were uh, the Carson copter and you had the sign into that, don't tell me you didn't rig a few things in your day. But no, I never did. I stand above doing that kind of stuff. And I and I always say, I'm uh, when it comes to a, a, a poll that I am directly involved in, I respect the integrity of said poll, and I only will tweet from one of the accounts that I have access to, which is my main account. There are accounts that multiple people have access to. You mentioned the Longbox Heroes account, the Add-Ons with Wrestling account. There's multiple people that have access to those accounts. I will not use those accounts to vote in any polls that, like I said, directly affect me or any of the shows. I also won't uh, uh, use any of the... And I I'm, I'm freely admit, I say all the things that I have access to. My own account, Longbox Heroes, Add-Ons with Wrestling, soon-to-be-named Network One, April's, and Words. Those are the only ones I have. No other ones out there. And I don't use them to pad any polls. Uh, I don't use them to pad any polls that we do. Okay. Did I use them to bring down Jeff Jarrett? Maybe. Oh, you see? That's different. That's your poll, not ours. Well, listen, you, you you threw your lot in with Adam, and how did that work out for you? Well, he used all his burners, I think, on the uh, villains rogue, so that worked. Well, that's expected of him. Exactly. But I do not like you accusing me of tactics like that. Okay. That hurts, Joe. This might be. You're lucky we have three more months of Sandman. Yeah. Or this podcast would be over. I'm just saying. When I look at the list of the number of burners, when you have more burners than Young Ed does, maybe you might have an issue. <laughs> All right. Hey, ESPN Pigskin Pickums, thanks everyone for checking those out and putting your picks in and everything else like that. We hit uh, Todd's Art Attack, so now I guess it's time to talk about the latest S episode of uh, Ahsoka. Sure, why not? Uh, so again, a little bit lighter of an episode, I think. You know, uh, there was a couple big plot things that do happen in this uh, episode, but I have to uh, address some corrections and omissions, I guess. Okay. So, um, after our episode went live last week, um, to say that I was inundated by multiple people contacting me to tell me how wrong I am and how much I screwed up the timeline of Star Wars. Yep. So, um, in my mind, uh, Ahsoka comes from the cartoon Clone Wars. The Clone Wars takes place in between episodes two and three of the, uh, prequels, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What I was not aware of, that there was a sequel cartoon to Clone Wars called Rebels, which takes place more during, 
you know, the the real Star Wars movies, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, specifically after Return of the Jedi. Okay. I, I just assumed everything took place during, like, in between episodes two and three, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, last week, I'm like, oh, well, Anakin hasn't turned yet. He's not Darth Vader just yet. People were like, oh, my God, Joe, you're so stupid. And I will say this, yes, but that's unrelated to me not understanding the new funky timeline where in between each set of prequels, 40 years take place in the Star Wars universe where they cram in so much stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I haven't consumed all of the Star Wars media that's out there, which is still no excuse. As someone who speaks into a microphone and records it for people to listen to, I should have some sort of knowledge of the thing that I'm talking about. So I do apologize, and I do thank everyone who reached out to me to tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to Star Wars. Hold on, let me mark it on the calendar. September 12th, 2023... The first time Joe was wrong. Let's celebrate it every year. Now, see, that's the thing, Todd. I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. So there you go. It's a different thing. Um, Right. Um, So this episode is essentially uh, Ahsoka and um, Sabine are trapped. Um, their, Their ship's not working. They're on that planet. The uh, evil folks, they're not Sith or whatever. Right. Uh, But Balin and his crew are kind of like stalking them, keep an eye on them, but not getting close enough. Um, Ahsoka essentially says, like, listen, uh, if we can't get the map, I'm just going to destroy it, essentially, so no one can get there. And even if that means uh, we're not going to be able to save our friend, so be it. That's the risk I'm willing to take so that Thrawn does not come back in a power. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Yang is doing repairs outside of the uh, ship, I, lo- I love the bit with the droid jump scare and then the droid slugfest in this uh, episode. Yeah. Oh, I, one thing that I will say is, where have you seen another good droid like that stand up like and, t- and, and fight back? I actually thought that was really cool where he was holding his own because he trains the Jedis to fight. Yeah. So he has the ability. Like, I don't think droids can kill, but he's able to, like, defend himself. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so then we get, like, the double confrontation uh, with Shin, who is, like, the blonde-haired, white-haired apprentice lady of Balin. And who is the, like, he's the guy in the mask that's with them. It's it's made of gas. I don't understand. Yeah, that one. so yeah. like we get the battle, and like he gets run through with a lightsaber, much like uh, Sabine did in Episode One, and she just need to get a little like uh, tat- like a little bandage on her tum tum, and she was fine. But uh, this guy gets run through, but they don't just stick it in him; they give him like the swipe with it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like he's apparently like, green mist inside of his costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think he's going to be one that's going to be tough to kill. Like he's, I can't think of the guy from Hellboy. You remember? He was the one in the costume that was like a mist or whatever. Abe Sapien, you're thinking of? Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, but there, I think that's it's going to be. He's able to jump from body to body. Like mm. he's got some sort of robot body that he can use. So they're going to have to like do something different to kill him. And I'm sure he showed up in Clone Wars or Rebels, and I don't know what his deal is, right? 
there's a part of me that thinks somehow he's the reincarnation for like the 19th time of Darth Maul. Okay. I don't know, but I have no proof on that. So I, I definitely think a lot of these new characters that get added into stuff like this in any sort of Star Wars media, it's them trying to like, we're going to make the next Darth Maul. Right. I'm with you. And if Joe's wrong, everybody attack him, please. Thank you. That's just my opinion. I, you know, I have wrong opinions all the time. Uh, so then uh, Ahsoka has the battle with Balin. Uh, Balin gets the advantage on her, and that's when Sabine shows up. And Balin is like, listen, uh, if you join up with us, or if you surrender, I will take you to your friend. And that's the promise that I'm making to you. And the one thing that I thought was so funny is Sabine has the map in her hand and she's holding the gun to the map. And the map is like a ball. Like, you know, it looks like, like uh, if you remember like the thermal detonator thing that Bosk had or uh, Bosch uh, when Leia was in disguise in Return of the Jedi. Yep. Essentially like a, a silver ball. She has it in her hand and then she has her laser pistol up against the thing, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say she decides to call Balin's bluff and shoot a blaster directly into her hand while holding a reflective ball close to her face. How do you think that's going to work out for Sabine? Well, you know what? I know you're joking around a little bit and serious, but here's what I'll say. It comes down to when uh, Ahsoka, you know, they had to stop the map uh, because it was about to like download so they can have the coordinates and she grabs it and burns her hand. She was willing to sacrifice her hand to stop Thrawn, you know, cause we don't need a new heir to the empire wink into the camera. Um, so like, that's when I was like, yes, Sabine, like if you have to shoot your hand, you're saving the universe, you're saving the galaxy. But then once again, Sabine does, the like she just makes all the wrong choices and i was talking about this with somebody today well i know in the end because you know i don't know how this ep this, this series is gonna end but they're gonna go and they're gonna get their friend back and thrawn's gonna come back too but in the end they're gonna stop things and she's gonna be like see i did make the right decision because we got my friend back and, and blah 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 but i'm like really we could have stopped this all like it could have literally been an episode and a half and it would have been over. But I just was screaming when she handed over the ball again. I'm like, Ahsoka, you've chosen poorly. Get rid of your friend and fight this battle on your own. Well, Ahsoka got kicked off the cliff by yep. Balin. Uh, Syndulla decided to disobey the, the New Republic order and take a bunch of her ships there. And I thought there was a great bit where she shows up and she's got like six X-Wings with her, you know? Right. And they notice that the warp ring, the hyperspace ring, is going to fire because they had to wait. They had to get the coordinates, but then they also had to wait for, like, all 12 of the engines to to fire up. Mm -hmm. And once they had the coordinates and once all 12 engines were fired up, they're like, all right, we're going to hit hyperspace. There's seven ships in our way. Oh, too, too bad. So sad. They're getting run over, you know? Right, And I thought that was a cool moment. Like, you never really saw stuff like that in a Star Wars movie or TV show. So I like, like, little things like that. And a bunch of the people that came with uh, Syndulla got wasted. Like, they just got run through by a giant ship running through hyperspace. Which, but wasn't that a giant plot point in 
uh, the Last Jedi? Didn't they take out a Star Destroyer with a with so, a ship at hyperspace? Right. Okay. So I think they like sh- like they did it as though like they were a bullet shooting through a much larger ship. Right. But this is a much larger ship just wiping out much smaller ships. Like just fair enough. I was taking yeah. it as you were saying we've never seen a ship at hyperspeed hit another ship. That's all. That's all. Yeah, I was like, this, oh, wait, wasn't that in Last Jedi? But no, that's... this like I said, this is like this the inverse of that. But I get gotcha. where you're. Yeah, gotcha. Too bad they didn't take out Chopper. Oh, uh, how did Chopper's gonna be the? He's gonna be the one who saves the day in the end. Yeah, and uh, but, he's he's gonna he's gonna have to save Ha Young from like Silicious Crumb, like eating his hat or something. <laughs> right, right. And then at the end, Ahsoka, who fell off the mountain into the water, didn't die. She got caught by the Metachlorines and meets Anakin in the sky. I was gonna say that definitely feels like a CTE induced <laughs> hallucination of Anakin Skywalker until the. Until the uh, Vader's theme plays, and I'm like, "What's happening?" Uh huh. But I will say, I will. I'm wondering if she's going to be able to Jedi teleport from galaxy to galaxy because I wonder how she's going to get there. But I, it's I want to see what they do with uh, with Anakin and Vader because they kind of lead you to believe it's like, oh, this is the Anakin who died, who turned good at the end. But there's also the Vader's theme, which is always. One of the greatest villain themes in history. So, I don't know. Just more mention of more metachlorians, please. They didn't say metachlorians, but I get what you're saying. I felt they were walking on a rainbow bridge of metachlorians. <laughs> Let's hope that that's what it is, but they actually never say the M word. How about that? Right, right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm enjoying this, but, you know, I, I definitely feel I don't like the fact that they're making they're letting Sabine's character make so many bad choices. You're preaching to the choir. And my other thing is coming off Andor. That's like, you know what I mean? That's my 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 because Andor was the last one, right? Of the TV shows. Yes. So that's my that's like my high bar. And then this, which I'm like I said, I'm not much of a Jedi guy, so I'm like, all right, it's fun, you know, it's Star Wars, I'll watch it regardless, because you know, four-year-old Todd isn't isn't has sweat equity in Star Wars. But I think coming off that the last one is what really hurts it for me. Right. Anyway. But I'm still here. I'm loving it. You know, it's it's a fun show. I like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's it for everything, right? We covered everything. I, I I checked off all the things on my notes that I had to talk about. Yeah, I think we did well, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, thanks, everyone, for listening. This was episode 675 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.